together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. Welcome to Resist Bot Live. Hey y'all, it is Sunday, March 13th, 2022. I'm your moderator, Melanie Dion, and this is Resist Bot Live. Welcome everybody. Like a lot of people, I'm obviously already on the Daylight Savings Time struggle bus. But we're going to make it through. So thank you so much for joining us. We're live streaming every Sunday at 1 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. So feel free to, if you're in Facebook, type in with those comments because we would love to hear from you. If you're listening from a podcast, thank you for joining us. If you want to join the conversation because you couldn't comment with us when we were on live, you can go to Twitter, Facebook, and use the hashtag Live botters. Also, TikTok. We love you on TikTok. So feel free to use the hashtag Live botters and join the conversation. So this week, as uh, many weeks in the past, we have been waking up to new encroachments on the rights of trans people, most recently almost on a daily basis. One of the most effective tools in Bigotry's toolbox is fear. Fear that the other is going to come and take something from you. And that's whether you have a tiki torch in Virginia or if you're examining a female athlete's genitalia because you don't believe she can be that good of an athlete. This is a very heavy lift for all of us because this isn't a partisan issue. This is an issue. Anti-trans sentiment is not only partisan on the bills. It is how we talk, how we think how we address our trans neighbors. And so it's very important that we have conversations like this and make sure that trans people are a part of all of our conversations because they're our neighbors. So I'm going to start with uh, one of our regular panelists and bring them up. We have Susan, Susan Stutz. Hey, Susan. Hi, Mel. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Struggling with a little, you know, fast forward on the time, but a little struggle bus like that. My struggle bus feels like a struggle skateboard today. It's just not, it's just not doing yes. anything, but we're going to make it. We're testing the struggle in public motto. Absolutely. We're, we're pushing it a little bit, but we're, we're going to get it together. Lots of cover. We've got a lot of guests. Yes, we do. I'm, I'm really looking forward to expanding my understanding and my knowledge base on this topic. I'm, my ears are primed to listen today. New guests that are going to be coming back guests. I'm excited about that. We've also got a special guest, our executive director, Jason Patori is going to be in the background helping us with comments and questions and all of that good stuff. So we want to welcome him. Hi, Jason. Hey, guys. Love this. Love these shirts, Susan. Thank you. Thank you. My little Rosie. All hail the Rosie. You can't see her, but <laughs> it's an odd angle. Love it. Thanks so much for joining us this week, Jason. And I'm glad that you're here. This is one of those conversations. It takes all of us. Trans issues are our issues, you know, so it's not just something that should be in a box where only one segment is fighting for this. When we start looking at 
equality, when we start looking at equity, when we start looking at justice, that applies for all people. So I'm so glad that we have a fuller representation for for this week's show, especially. And I am going to start bringing up our guests. Who we have first is Deandra Alon. Hi, Deandra. Welcome. Hey. So glad that you can join us this week from the Lone Star State. All right. (laughs) I'm glad that you invited me. It's such an honor. Well, absolutely. The thing about it is we have to, when when we're talking about this, we're talking about how these policies, how this sentiment affects the people that's targeted. We can hear what politicians and talking heads want to say about it, but in the end of it, this affects real people. And this is why we're here to talk about how, what, how the things we say, how the things we legislate affect the people that we know and the people that we don't know. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience and your thoughts on in this discussion today. We also have Lauren Rouse. Hi, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Now, you're one of the good folks who keeps Resist Bot moving because you actually last year wrote a petition for Florida. Yeah, so there was a bill that had been introduced in the Florida House that eventually passed, and it was on keeping trans children out of sports in their K-12 through education. It did pass, but it's currently being challenged in courts because it violates uh, Title IX actions against sexuality. So, yeah, we started a petition last year about it. Thank you so much. And that's, I mean, isn't that part of why discussions like this are necessary? Because the legislation moves so so fast. You know, by the time we, we have one that's dealt with, there's another one that's cropping up. So we've seen that was kind of at the beginning of the wave and we're still here. Exactly. And our last live special guest of the week, Bianca Mack, fellow New Orleans native. Hello, Bianca. Hello, bonjour. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us because uh, New Orleans native, but now you've abandoned me. You're on the West Coast now. But otherwise, the South is very heavily represented here. Thank you for joining us this week. And you're another person who is a, a strong advocate, a strong voice, and we can lead in with you. Can you talk a bit about what your experience is and just navigating the day-to-day, not necessarily your everyday personal, but how it impacts you when your life becomes an arbitrary discussion point for other people, when this is your real life. So one thing I'll say about that quickly is that it's actually a pretty tough, it's a tough reckoning, right? I live in one of 11 states that currently has not passed any anti-trans legislation attempts in the year 2022 so far. Um, 39 states have tried it since January 1. At least 25 anti-trans bills have been proposed since March 10th, which is the, what, Thursday before we started recording? Uh, This stuff's coming fast. And one of the easiest things to say is, oh, those silly Bible Belt, da-da-da. No, this is an America problem. I just said 39 out of 50 states have tried, have attempted uh, the passage of some level of anti-trans legislation. They've had a pretty decent success rate, unfortunately. Iowa, Texas, Florida have all had some recent anti-trans thing pass. And so for me, watching from where I'm watching, right, it's it just becomes a thing where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not writing letters to my own senators, not making phone calls and doing canvassing in my own district where I live. Um, I'm having to extend myself to initiatives well beyond where I collect mail, well beyond where I travel, well beyond where I live. Because, again, this is an America problem. 
racism. It's an America problem. Uh, Anti-trans, trans-negative sentiments is an America problem. It's a product of a number of things I want to enumerate here in this introduction moment. What it does is it raises the antenna and it, and it takes me from a local on the ground grassroots advocate to a national like, oh, goodness, we, we got work to do in Florida. Oh, goodness, we got work to do in Texas. Oh, goodness, we got work to do in Iowa. And then it's like, can I do this? Can I take on the world and still receive dignity in my own backyard? And their answer is kind of. That's a conversation that is going to come up again because we do have a um, an interview with Andrea Segovia from uh, the Transgender Education Network of Texas, where we talk about how sometimes, even if we're in an area that is more progressive, that's not passing this type of legislation, we still have to contend with those of our neighbors, those people in our state, our areas who are in regions that are not as progressive, that are not as understanding, that are not going to have, won't have the access needed to to live, to thrive. Um, so I appreciate you saying that. Lauren, I am going to slide on over to you with your perspective of having filled out this petition, having had, you know, that ignored by your representatives and still being in this fight and seeing how your state has not only gone from anti-trans le- legislation to anti-queer legislation. Can you talk a bit about how that affects you, how that affects the work, and how that affects your day-to-day. Yeah, so I am the current, uh, the Young Democratic Socialist of America chapter at the University of Central Florida, which is located in Orlando. Um, And Orlando is kind of this, like, blue bubble in a decently red state. Um, (laughs) We like to say that Florida's a swing state, but eh, I say not, not really. So we're a organization that is fighting for equity and equality for all people, you know, across backgrounds, sexualities, classes, all sorts of things. Every semester, we kind of run a clothing drive to support transgender, non-binary, non-conforming students on campus. And it just so happens that our first clothing drive that we had ran in conjunction with Trans Day of Visibility. We're also then experiencing this really hateful anti-trans sports bill. We ended up having over 200 people come to the drive, which was awesome because it was like our first semester. We were still in like COVID regulations and all of these things. We're able to get so many signatures, but then to feel like that it was just completely ignored by our legislators, it's really hard. But that doesn't mean that we still don't continue to do the work. And I think something that happens a lot with people is you have these battles that you face every day. And when you lose something, it's really, it's really hard because you want to make things better for your friends and the people in your organization who identify as trans or who are trans and people who are on your campus who are trans. It's really, really hard to then be like, okay, failed. What do we do next? But I think something that we always kind of stress in YDSA is that we need to build a better future for people. We need to work towards this and we need to work towards it collectively. We can't stop. We can't lose our momentum for all of these things. We really want to keep this moving forward. And what we've seen with the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida is we've seen just kind of this huge outpouring, not only in the LGBTQ community, but also just across Orlando, across Florida in general. I mean, there's been rallies like every other week. 
We're also having like pretty bad anti-abortion with a uh, 15-week abortion ban. So having anti-critical race theory bills. Florida's kind of a hot mess right now. But I think the thing that we need to all keep doing is we need to know that it's not going to get better. And these people who say they stand for us don't really stand for us. And we need to do the work. We need to you know, come together and collectively do things with our community. Because if we make changes at the community level, if we get these people out of office who don't listen to us, if we kind of move from the bottom up, then we're still able to create change. It just might take a little bit longer than a a situation where we would get a result as soon as we were done with a petition or whatever. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Because it's, you covered a lot. We talked, we've talked over the past few weeks about how there's this part where we cut conversations off at the knees. This is just another example of that. So I want to go to Deandra because we have the most, one of the larger, one of the ones more in the news when it comes down to anti-trans, not only legislation, but also just directives. We had a very interesting conversation and you brought up sports and how, how so much of this when we, especially when we start looking at younger people, it's, it, it really starts in sports, which I thought was, you know, interesting because this is when we started looking at Florida back in the day, that's kind of where they were. I'd like you to maybe lead into that a little bit and also discuss your own observations and experiences and how this legislation impacts how you have to advocate and care for yourself folks in the sense of like there's this running thing where they just feel like a lot of people are were assigned male at birth or just wanting to transition to being a woman so they can excel at sports better because i guess competing against males wasn't good so they're going to try to just go the easy route and like try to beat out women and stuff but i feel like a lot of that is mainly from rhetoric we see from like shows and stuff like i know south park they they touched on that and they were like real went completely over the top and then i just feel like for the most part it's kind of like this thing where it's like oh you're not even really basing it off the person it's just the part they have so it's one part running around with all these other little girls kicking a ball and like throwing stuff even though the sport at all has nothing to do with that and then if that trans person happens to excel then it's like you got all these mad parents just like back in the day when a parent would be mad that like a black child was or a non-white child was like exceeding in sports over the white child. And so it's really just the same thing, I feel. Bigotry is bigotry and it uses the same tools. The the, the faces, the masks on it may be the same, but it uses the same tools. I think a lot about the concepts of feminism and womanism and how much of that we need to interrogate as cis women. What how much of our beliefs are rooted in this idea that things will be taken. The fear of the same people who want history taken out of books because they don't want their children to be indoctrinated or learn. Let's not say indoctrinated. They don't want their children to, to learn and they call it indoctrination. The same, those same people are calling caring for children abuse or trying to label it abuse. And you have to see the hypocrisy of that. The conversation overwhelmingly when people want to defend anti-trans sentiment, well, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. Your opinion is becoming legislation. So where are you now? That's the thing that we really have to get into. I want to bring up, we were able to talk to Andrea Segovia of Tent Transgender 
Education Network of Texas. And our conversation really went into what it's like in the state of Texas, where Deandra lives as well, what this work, what the work has become in the state of Texas. One of the reasons she could not join us this, you know, live this week is because of the work that she's doing. I believe she's in in South by Southwest and they are doing work to to address what's going on right now in Texas and across the country. So if we can run that interview, I would greatly appreciate it. While all of us are watching Texas and Governor Abbott and what Governor Abbott is being empowered to do, we can't ignore what organizers are doing to help our trans neighbors. Our next guest will be able to talk exactly about that, about her role, her organization, and what the next steps are. Welcome, Andrea Zakovia. Andrea Zakovia with the Transgender Education Network of Texas. Hi, Andrea. Hi, and thank you so much for exactly how you framed what's happening in Texas. I think all of us here on the ground, right, are in agreement that what's happening to our families and to our youth are, it's an abuse of power by uh, three key players, right? The governor, the AG, and the head of DSPS. And it's all leaning towards harming our trans youth, which is really sad because we know all the stats, right, especially from the Trevor Project that says, like, The number one thing that trans youth need is someone that supports them and sees them and affirms them. Having uh, families do that, right, is exactly what they need. And yet they're trying to be criminalized and having to trying to separate families. And so here on the ground, one thing that we have really been doing is having people voice that opposition, right? Having people call into uh, Jamie Master's office, who's the commissioner for DFPS here in Texas, And talk about, right, like your goal is to create happy families and supportive families. And this is the exact opposite. And also reminding people, right, that this AG opinion is literally the opinion of the AG. It it doesn't change laws. It's not a new law. It doesn't change the Texas Constitution. It doesn't change the way that people who are considered reporters, right, for child abuse need to change the way that they do it. Because, again, spreading information, right, actual information, gender and gender identity are protected under uh, medical records by the federal government. And so we at Tent, again, have been spending the last two weeks spreading good, reliable information um, to everybody, right? Parents, educators, doctors, you name it, we've probably talked to them. That's a part of it. And then the other part too is originally for Valentine's Day, um, before we knew all of this was really coming down, we created a project called Love Letters to Trans Texans. Because, you know, last year with what we faced of what I call it a legislative year, sort of a legislative session, again, trans people, trans youth were put into the crossfires. And really have been made these political pawns by the state government in Texas. And so we wanted to, again, affirm our youth, send our love. And we've gotten such an outpour from people across the the country, really wanting to, again, remind trans youth how much they're loved and how much they're valued, no matter what a couple of people, even if they're state leaders, say. Thank you so much for that. it's, It's another instance of the cruelty being the point. Because when you point out the opinion is just an opinion, it doesn't 
change anything. There was no, there was nothing effective about that other than to be disruptive. And and feel free to redirect or correct me if I'm wrong. And I think something to add, right, was the timing of it. So if we go back, right, from where this started, this was an inquiry made by Representative Matt Krause more than six months ago of what is considered child abuse when talking about trans-related healthcare. And what we know from medical experts and reliable medical organizations is that the care that trans youth receive is the best care possible for them here in the state of Texas. And so in doing that, right, when the AG released his opinion, when the governor said, hey, it was all right before primary election day, it was right in the middle of like early voting. And again, like being trans is not political, but it's these politicians making it political. Being who you are should not be this political stance that somebody takes. And yet here in the state of Texas and really throughout the country, as we're seeing it happen, it is, again, becoming this political war. And we're just talking about people. We're talking about kids. You're talking about kids and, and, and separating them or, or putting them at odds with family. And this is not the first time Texas has done this. They're, it's, they're doing something similar with the abortion laws, where, where it's not only a matter of making things difficult for people who need aid, but putting neighbor against neighbor. Basically. Exactly that. And I think, right, it's the reporting of your neighbor. It's the same thing. So currently, right, the way that this works out for the people really wanting to push it through is that anybody could call CPS and say, hey, I know of these parents that are supporting their trans youth and a report's made. And because CPS is CPS, they have to Uh, investigate every call, they have to start an investigation. It's the same thing with, hey, I think somebody's having an abortion. And like, I think what the state awards them like actual money for reporting people who've had abortions. Like, I think something that I go back to is uh, our state leadership, right, constantly talks about like, the importance of small government and people being able to make their own decisions. But when it comes to your bodily autonomy, you can't do that. Like mm-hmm. if, if we're just being straight up, like time and time again, we, we keep coming back to, we want small government, but not when it comes to X, Y, and Z. And it typically has to do with the choice of someone's, the choice that somebody can make with their own personal body and what's best for them. So in, I do have one question that you may or may not have an answer to, or if this is something that your organization is working with in terms of, certain care, we're back to dealing with protected health information. Is there some end around that where that that require doctors to cooperate? Or is this sort of another thing that they would have to deal with? Because it's an opinion, right, going back to it, the only time that a doctor would have to disclose anything is that if they were presented with a warrant, just like anything else, right? somebody making an inquiry from DFPS or wherever about like, send us your list or let's talk about this family because they're being investigated. They have the right to say this is confidential medical records. uh, And if necessary, that you need them right for your case or whatever, we'll wait for the warrant to come. And does that become a function sort of, of your job or your organization's um, mission when we have politicians 
or or bills like this or or directives like this, when we have these things, does it become reaching out to those other uh, hands in the pot, so to speak, when it comes to resisting these things, when it when it yeah. comes to reaching out to teachers, reaching out to to medical professionals, is that sort of how the how this works? I think- Yeah, I think our organization really views itself sort of as like that connector and that bridge. So, you know, of course, 100% we are with our community, um, checking in on trans people, adults, right, and also families and youth. But again, remembering to center trans people around the trans issue is one, highly important. And two, then reaching out to all of our connections, right? If it's politicians that we educate, on like trans 101s because we are a nonprofit. So we don't pick sides, right? But, you know, talking to businesses, talking to teachers, talking to physicians, really anybody and everybody that we know who could be affected by this to say a reminder, right? Here are the rights that you have. Here is the duty that you have to protect these trans kids because they're counting on all of us. But two, don't let these people use their power to intimidate you. Because that is what's happening at the end of the day. We have state leaders who are using their power that we all learn about, right, in school of they're supposed to represent you and have your best interest. And, you know, they are the people's leader when you think about what state uh, leadership is supposed to do. And yet here we are watching them time and time again use their power to hurt people in their state. We've definitely been doing that. We are clearly not a like legal organization, but we work with TELDEF, which is the Trans Legal Education Defense. No, I said that Transgender right. Legal okay. Defense and Education Fund. Yes. I only know it because I worked in Pennsylvania with them. Uh, they're going to be like, what the heck? Um, but, you know, we have big love for them. And then, of course, ACLU and Lambda, both in Texas and national, to really give us those guidance again, to push it forward, to say a reminder again, Here is what legal is telling us to then spread to you. And if you have any questions, we're here to help with that. And that's been a lot of the last two weeks. Um, And it's so wild to think it's only been two weeks. But I think the thing that's missing is that CPS, DFPS, right, is not an agency that is equipped to do this even. Like, we're having issues of kids going missing, kids sleeping in offices, kids being found in, like, sex trading like all of these awful things and you want to rip kids apart from an affirming home like make it make sense right yeah there there is no process and that's also part of like the problem of when state leaders decide to put out something that they think is going to really garnish their vote when talking about so how do you want this to happen right how do you want to stop trans people from using public facilities from kids playing sports. And now from this, they have no process. And so it's a madhouse. And really what we're referring to it as a witch hunt of trans youth and their families. It, it truly is. And it's it's so disheartening. And it's so, if it doesn't make you angry, I don't know, you know, yeah. really what will. I have a question for you because I feel like the work that you have to do probably looks different in Austin than it would in somewhere like let's say Ransom Canyon, because we know different, there are different pockets of Texas. So what does it look like when you're dealing with some places that will probably be, you're more likely to encounter authorities, teachers, medical professionals, et cetera, who are more likely to be supportive. And then other places that are conservative when it comes to that, 
How does it impact the scope of your work? And what can people in those areas do to bridge the gaps and and support organizations like yours? Yeah, so one, right, uh, we are the largest trans-led, trans-focused policy, you know, focused again organization here in the state of Texas. And we're like one of four in the country, just to give you a perspective, right? And we take our work very serious to not only include major cities and sort of those pockets of blue that we have talked about, right? But also we know that trans people are throughout our entire state. You being trans isn't the only part of you, right? Are you a farmer? Are you a teacher? Are you a doctor, whatever that looks like. And so what we really focus on, one, is making sure that community across Texas knows that we support them. Um, but then two, right, when looking at, when you have people in rural places, it's a lot more complicated, right, sometimes for them to be fully out. Maybe they're out to their friends or their family or trusted people because there's not like a non ordinance or they're worried about losing their job or losing their housing because we don't have those protections in Texas. So really what we do is we call on our cis allies to say, do you know providers? Do you know mental health people? Do you know anyone, right, in different parts of Texas that are affirming and friendly and things like that so that we can then also make sure that if we do have somebody reach out, if it's like Maybe somebody, especially to all of our partners on the ground who do support groups, right, will say, hey, I'm in, you know, say like the A&M region, because while it's a little bit more rural, there's like a college and university. And so Mm -hmm. there's a little bit more. We have somebody that travels in an hour. Is there something more in their area that we can connect them with or a provider or mental health care person that like we can connect them with? whatever that need is, right? And so we then look and say, okay, let's look, let's ask. And so our goal is to always make sure that community feels connected no matter where they are. Um, Because it is so, so important, no matter your age, to know that like you have community with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. I know you're busy. I know this is a, a very busy time for for you. Ken, before you go, can you let us know um, where we can find you or your org and also how we can support, whether it's uh, volunteer support or financial support? Yeah, so uh, you can find us at uh, transtexas.org and that's the same handle for our Facebook, our Instagram, and our Twitter, TransTexas. If you would like to support us, right, our um, donation link is on our site and also um, forms for any questions or if you have any skill sets, right, that you think might be helpful. We are a small but mighty team. There's about four of us on staff. And so we really make it happen with all of our volunteers and all of our help. And, you know, I also want to send the message, the outpouring love that we've really gotten the past two weeks has has really made a substantial difference for us. And, and we really couldn't do this work without all of the people who've been just sending us even a little message of love to say, hey, I see you. I see you doing this work and I want you to know, like, I'm right there with you. Let me know what I can do because we're going to need you, right? Uh, a reminder to people, right, that Texas has um, our legislative session every other year. While we have beat bills like this that um, this opinion reflects, 
we know that they're going to bring this back next legislative session, which starts really in January, but heats up in February. And so please don't take your eyes off Texas. The kids, community, everybody needs people across the country to continue to pressure people to do the right thing and support trans people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This conversation, unfortunately, uh, is not going anywhere. And there's there's always something in Texas. So we would love to have you back. As I long as this conversation back. continues, we're going to be there to have the conversation and we would love to make sure that you're a part of it. So thank you yeah. so much again. About anti-trans sentiment and um, it being a matter of opinion that we're ignoring something very crucial to how words and sentiment can affect us. And I know that you had some, you've done research on that. Bianca, would you like to share some of what, some of the information that you have with us? Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you framed it as such, right? That it's it's opinion, but it's capable of doing things, right? And, and when we start dressing things as opinion to be widely accepted, what they become is new sets of facts, essentially. They shape worldviews and they shape how people perceive trans people just in the abstract, right? This is before they've ever met any trans person. This is before they've had any meaningful interaction or anything like that, right? And so what I have here is I have over a dozen uh, statistics that this is all well-reported, this is all confirmable, things that speak to how opinions become negative sentiment and, and what they turn into, what it's all born out of, right? So let's begin with hate crimes, right? Based on LGBTQ identification, 16.7% of all hate crimes committed, so that's about one in six, are based on LGBTQ identification. That's third in the list of hate crimes indexes. Race is number one. Religion is number two. Before anybody gets any ideas, again, something constituting a hate crime is based on not being in the majority, right? So this isn't, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm so persecuted. Somebody, No, it's, you know, hey, you attack that person just because they're Muslim. They didn't do you anything. You had no prior interaction with them. You saw their turban or you saw their, their manner of dress and you decided that was sufficient to assault that person. We saw that with the Stop AAPI hate movement when people were just attacking Asian people of various national origins because they were like, hey, you know, the coronavirus because of you and just messing with people out in public. Anyway, LGB youth, right? So I'm going to get to the T in a second here, but LBG youth uh, are five times more likely to attempt suicide. 52% of all trans people have considered suicide within the last year. 42% of all LGBTQ people have considered suicide within the last year. 94% of LGBTQ youth read about these legislations going on in the world right, whether it's in their state or outside of it. And they report that these legislative efforts to negate their experiences or their existences negatively impacts their mental health. LGBTQ students are three times more likely to report that they feel unsafe at school. They're four times more likely to be victims of violent crime. And they're more than twice as likely to begin use of illicit drugs or suffer substance abuse. Hey, Bianca, are you back with us? I am. What was the last thing we caught? We were talking about the youth and going into how how much of this is youth driven, how much of this is kind of, especially the current wave is cutting people off at the root. Just recently, there was a, I can't remember which state this was, one of them that's run by a loathsome person. And they were signing this anti-trans sports bill. I think it was Iowa with all the the young girls kind of standing around. It was ghoulish. And it was the same people who do not want kids to be taught about 
hate from the past, it's absolutely fine to have them in these propaganda driven photo shoots, basically, that are don't teach them the past, but teach them to fear the invisible boogeyman. I feel like we've talked about this before. Parents got very interested in education when there was a rash of kids identifying their parents on, on January 6th. They realize like this is a new, this is the new wave. They're realizing that education, knowledge is stifling. They're stifling their ability to keep the status quo and and, and children are challenging them. So of course you reach out to the youth and, and, and put the, them at odds with one another. And yes, that was in Des Moines, that was Iowa, Governor Kim Reynolds signing signing that law. So we want to talk about like how we can support, like what kind of support we can give, whether it's from a business standpoint, whether it's from the standpoint of someone who is cis and that type of thing. We had, there was very recently Google, Apple, Meta, and a few other corporations reached out to Texas, called on them to drop anti-trans legislation. There's been a big outcry with Florida's Don't Say Gay for Disney to say anything, particularly when Disney is powered by queer people. I wanted to just reach out to the panelists a little bit for some of their thoughts or even questions on how we can be better allies, whether it's Jason and Susan, my OGs, or, or our our newbies, what is the sort of missing ingredient that you need, whether it's in in forms of amplification or whatever, and anybody, I'm kind of leaving this as an open thing for anybody to grab. I'll jump in there. I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to take, one, we have to be willing to educate ourselves on a variety of topics. Anything that, just because it doesn't affect us, doesn't mean that we're not responsible for fixing the problem. So I think one, we have to educate ourselves, but I think two, we have to be willing to have those same kinds of conversations, learning conversations with other people and being able to have those really hard discussions with somebody that doesn't necessarily have the same values that you have, doesn't share the same thought processes that you have. You have to be willing to discuss it and to educate and to learn about it and recognize that Eventually, the people who are, I believe, attacking transgender youth and transgender families, they're going to run out of transgender youth and transgender family. They're going to run out of, of people that they view as the other. And, you know, so then what happens? Mel, you don't necessarily fit the feminine ideal of what a female is, and neither do I. It, it doesn't stop. There, It eventually it filters down. And so I think in large part, education and being willing to talk with people who don't necessarily share your values. I think that's hugely important. I can speak for myself in saying that as a Black woman, we were historically denied just the access or even just the identity as women and excluded from feminist circles, excluded by the definition of my feminist or womanist need as a Black woman is not going to be the same as a a straight white feminist with privilege. So what does that look like? When I look at any bigotry, I have to look at how this impacts Black and brown women. I'm always going to go there first. And when we have these conversations, these opinion conversations, the thing that gets left out is that Black and brown trans women 
are more susceptible to violence than anyone else in the trans community. What it is like being in Texas. She talked about how her area in Dallas is one of the most dangerous places to live as a Black trans woman. So I can't ignore that. So when I look at the fact that with your with an opinion, regardless of who you're aiming at, I don't care if a trans woman was mean to you that time. It's ludicrous that we're, because this is a lot of it, a lot of when we get down to when we exclude trans women from womanism is, oh yeah, a, a trans woman was mean to me. I, I don't care. I don't, this is the same thing that is used when we talk about racism and how we how we want people to behave. Deandra, we talked a bit about what being a trans woman is like in Dallas and, and the and the safety. Did you wanna tap in on that a little bit? Yeah. For me, I feel like I've had to learn to be really, really resilient and really mindful of who I put myself around. Because you tell somebody that here, it's kind of like a 50-50 of like, oh, you might have a new best friend or this person might try to like get everyone to like try to low-key burn you at the stake or something. So I live where a lot of murders for Black trans women happen in Dallas, especially. So it's the most dangerous place in the country for Black trans women especially, but trans women as a whole because non-Black trans women still get murdered here. So just like within the state, there was just some Latinx trans woman in Lubbock who was a drag performer and entertainer, I think, and she was killed by someone up there and they found her body somewhere up there. So, and that was like not too long ago, a few weeks ago. But yeah, I'm saying like Dallas especially is like the number one dangerous place in the country the most murders in the recent years have happened here and then i was just like saying like after that it's like houston then number three is like new orleans and i believe number four is atlanta i i think number five would probably be miami these kind of cities that was just like i was want to piggyback off what you said earlier about a, a trans woman being mean to you because i actually have an aunt that has that same story so that's why she like kind of like sat on her transphobia she mentioned to me one time some trans woman accidentally missed under her and then the trans woman was like basically saying well I'm, I'm sorry I didn't really mean it but basically I think the girl said to her you, you you don't really make it easier for you by dressing how you do so but I, I guess that was her being mean to her but I just thought that was really funny you brought that up because that's like the main thing they try to say is that I think we're losing you a little bit but you're you're right in that there's this call for civility when we're dealing with the group who's being marginalized, oppressed, overlooked, whether it's your race, your religion, your your gender, your sexuality. People want you to be nice when you ask for your rights. And that's just not reasonable. It's a function. It's a function of oppression and bigotry. I want to get, because one of the things that we, we run on are letters and petitions, and we do have a few legislation moves so quickly. Sometimes we'll have, for example, like we had Lauren's petition that, you know, was voted on and, but we do have some current petitions. And uh, Susan, can you bring those up? Sure. We've got um, two petitions out of the state of Texas and they both are speaking to Governor Abbott's directive. And, you know, he's establishing this pattern of using the public to enforce his own ideology. He did this with the abortion law, the abortion directive, and he's doing it again with the anti-trans 
directive. What we're looking for is for him to quit making his opinions law. And so we have two two petitions out of the state of Texas. And one of them is very short, very succinct. And it's simply asking Congress to do what it can to protect transgender children and families. And so that petition is called Protect Trans Children. And the call sign for that petition is P as in Peter, W as in William, J as in Jelly, R as in Robert, T as in Tom, Q as in Quilt. And so if, if that's one that you wanna sign on to, all you have to do is text that call sign to 50409 and you can shoot that off to your representatives. And then you can also invite your family and friends to sign off on it as well. And then we have a second one that's called Protect Texas Youth Denounce Abbott's Directive. And that is a petition directed to state governors around the country, asking them to speak out about what's happening in Texas. You know, peer pressure doesn't just happen at our level. Peer pressure happens higher up the food chain too. So we're asking for state governors to weigh in on it. And so the call sign for that petition is P as in Peter, D as in David, C as in cat, B as in boy, I as in Ivy, and V as in Victor. And so again, you can send that to 50409 and you can shoot that petition off to your governor. And as always, if these petitions don't say what it is in your heart that you want to say, any letter that you send to your representative can be turned into a petition. And we encourage you to do that. Anything that you write can be a letter to the editor. We encourage you to do that as well. So, and then invite your friends and families to sign on to these. One thing that I wanted to make everyone aware of, freedomforallamericans.org, there is a legislative tracker where they look at anti-queer bills, anti-transgender bills, school policies, youth health care. They're, they're looking at the whole thing. So if you want to know what's going on in your state, go to, we can drop the link at freedomforallamericans.org. And that will keep you aware of what's going on where and who you need to send letters to, because that's important. You need to make yourselves heard. I cannot stress enough. These people are our employees and, and we should act like that. So before we go, I want to give everyone a chance to shout themselves out, tell us where we can find you, what organization, if you'd like to shout out an organization that uh, you will be, that you'd like us to take a look at, like us to support by all means. And I'm going to start with Lauren. First, thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, definitely. So you can follow me at Rouse Lauren C on Twitter. It is a place that I definitely am posting a lot about all of the crazy stuff going on in Florida. And we're asking our organization is working with the Florida Access Network, which provides accessible abortions and abortion funds to people throughout Florida because of the current 15 week ban that is probably going to get signed into law at some point this week. We're asking that people, you know, reach out and donate to them. They're a great organization and they really support the BIPOC community in uh, Central Florida. Thank you so much, Lauren. Can't wait to have you back. Bianca, where can we find you? Hey, so... Yeah, I'm going to plug equitablegivencircle.org. It is an initiative started here in Portland, Oregon back in March of 2020. And in a little over two years, EGC has 
kept so many people afloat. We've gotten people into positions of prosperity. We have a housing initiative. We do CSA boxes weekly. I am on their board of directors. It's full disclosure thing. Equitablegivingcircle.org. You can go there. Uh, please donate. Our executive director is currently running to unseat the current one of the current city commissioners. I believe in her work. We see the direct results of her work on the ground, grassroots level, and that's scalable. It's one of the great things about the work that we're doing is that it's all scalable. It can all be implemented at the citywide level if only someone cared about the people in the same way that our ED does. And so EGC, again, looks to support black and brown BIPOC families with housing assistance, rental assistance, weekly CSA delivery boxes, as well as a free pantry once a week for people to come in, not to prove anything about like their income status or their need base, just come in and take the things that people have generously furnished for us and not generously furnished as in like, hey, it was the last chance on this rack of bread or these pinto beans or this other just kind of discard thing. It's good seasonal fresh produce, it's pantry staples. Right. And so it's not like your discards or your rejects or your, oh, you got to use this in four days or it's going to go bad. We try to give people good stuff. We, we put quality things in people's hands. We do books and plant jams. We do all kind of really good things with that program. And yeah, just want to plug EGC. I've been volunteering with them for going on two years now. I was asked to join their board last summer. It has been a delight and an honor to be a part of something that helps move so much capital toward people who are historically underserved. Thank you. You're a delight. And I'm glad you're here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining and can't wait to have you back. And Deandra, hello. We're glad you're here. So tell us where we can find you. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Gucci Dog. I can't wait to be back. Hopefully this time with better quality now, it seems. I don't know what was going on earlier, but it's behind me now. We're glad to have you. And Deandra is one of my favorite follows. Deandra and Bianca are one of my favorite follows. If we're fully disclosing these things, these are people that I know and and really appreciate their voice in everything, really. Great voices on trans issues, but just great voices and, and perspectives on life. So I would say follow both of them. They're two of my favorite favorites. Cannot wait to have you back. Thank you so much, Deandra. Susan, <laughs> we're, we're working through it. We're working through it. Struggle, 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 struggle bus. That's my new phrase. I'm totally stealing it, claiming credit for it. One of the things that came up a couple of times is talking about mental health issues and mental health is so important. Transgender is not just a physical thing. It's a mental health issue as well. And whenever I'm thinking about mental health issues and challenges, I think about To Write Love on Her Arms, which is an organization here in the state of Florida. They are doing wonderful work helping people with depression and addiction and just mental health challenges. So if, if you know, you're looking for a way to help, you know, support a mental health organization, they are a nonprofit and they are doing really good work. And Women's History Month, women make the world go round. Mm -hmm. They really do. So show some love to the women in your life. I've never been in a situation or looked at a movement and thought, oh, you know what? We need less women. I appreciate shows like this. I appreciate when we can, can really bring a fullness to the conversation because we're cheating ourselves otherwise. We're cheating other people, but we're definitely cheating ourselves otherwise. So thank you, Susan. Thank you all. Thank you all for joining us. This has been 
a, I overuse the word amazing, but conversation perspective, those are my love languages. So it was really an honor to be able to have this show. And I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to learn more about ResistBot, you can go to resist.bot. If you want to start a petition of your own, you can text 50409, text RESIST to 50409 and get the ball rolling. If you have any questions and need a little help, you can, of course, add us at ResistBot on Twitter. Or if you want to add me directly, you can go to the Gates of Mel zero instead of an O. We have some new donors this week. We have Bruce from San Francisco, California. Thank you, Bruce. And we have another monthly donor that I don't see their name, but they are fighting Tennessee's HB 2779. So we want to thank you for for joining us, for adding your voice and your support to the resistance, because as I like to say, the work is good, but it ain't free. So we're glad for your support. You can Follow us again on YouTube and Facebook. You also, as I mentioned, follow us on Twitter. And if you want to find our podcast, resistbot.live, you can find whatever your favorite platform, your streaming platform is, and go ahead and subscribe to us then. So thank you again for joining us, and I will see you next week. Take care. ResistBot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple. iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button. Non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message ResistBot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more resources, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating robust public policy or voter turnout campaigns. And we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a non-profit social welfare organization built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. ResistBot Live is moderated by Melanie Dion. Our regular panel includes Athena Foulet, Christine Liu, Susan Stutz, and Dr. Joseph Kuhill. Thank you for listening.